Morning. The reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing on it, would break down their walls of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we, tr- we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as by workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Thanks, Anna. Why don't we just start by praying?
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word that has just been read to us. Thank you that through that reading you have spoken to us. Thank you, Lord, that you will also speak to us through your spirit. And pray that our hearts and minds and lives will be open and attentive to what it is you will say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is quite a unique book in that it is essentially um, a bunch of journal entries that uh, that Nehemiah is reflecting on his experience um, while he was in Jerusalem rebuilding the wall. Uh, Nehemiah had been cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes in Persia. He left Persia to go to Jerusalem after God had placed a great burden upon his heart to go and help the Jewish people uh, rebuild the wall, which they accomplished in 52 days. And the rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall was very important because the people were very vulnerable without the wall and the economy was not in a good way, as well as the fact that the people didn't have any sense of national purpose or pride. And so the rebuilding of the wall, as it was being rebuilt, in a sense, was rebuilding the people themselves and giving them a sense of security and identity um, and economic viability. And as we've seen in previous weeks, Nehemiah was a man, he was a leader with great vision. God gave Nehemiah a vision to rebuild or to restore the wall. And uh, he was able to do this because he had a passion. He had a passion for God and he had a passion for God's people. But he couldn't have done it alone. And as Pastor Jack spoke to us last Sunday, Nehemiah was only one person and he didn't do it single-handedly. It was a team effort. And so just as the rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall was a team effort involving everybody, uh, so too the church is a team effort. In the kingdom of God, everybody builds. And no matter who you are, your age, your stage of life, uh, your capacity, we all have a role to play in the building up of the church and of God's kingdom. Today in chapter 4, we'll see that not only does everybody build, but also everybody fights. And we don't fight each other, but we fight the enemy. Because as we will come to see, in, in, God's, in God's kingdom, God's work never goes unopposed. Um, we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read these words from Peter. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And as I mentioned, the key lesson that we'll learn from chapter 4 is that God's work never goes unopposed, not in the world and not in us. Chapter 4 starts with some pretty annoyed neighbours, Sanballat and Tobiah, who we had met in chapter 2. They're back and they're not happy. Read from verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said... What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite was at his side and said, 
What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And then a little bit further down in verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. What we encounter in chapter 4 is an enemy. And it's a significant enemy because, um, as we will come to see, Jerusalem was actually landlocked by its enemies. So who were the enemy? Well, there was Sanballat, who we've heard his name a few times now, and he seems to be kind of the, the leader of perhaps an alliance that had formed. And Sanballat was from Samaria, which was in the north. Tobiah the Ammonite was from the east. The Arabs and Geshem, who we meet in chapter 2 and chapter 6, sort of seems to be the official on behalf of the Arabs, and they're from the south, and then the Ashdodites were from the west. So in every single direction, uh, the Jewish people had enemies. And none of the surrounding cities wanted to see Jerusalem rebuilt and re-strengthened and re-established. Uh, whilst they all shared very different, I'm sure, motivations, um, and they had different geographical areas that, that they occupied, and they had different ethnicity, they had a common factor, and that is that for them, the prosperity of Jerusalem, of God's people, was a threat to their own sense of security and national pride and economic progress. It would seem as though it was in none of their favour for Jerusalem to prosper. In particular, Sanballat was a powerful official who was clearly threatened by a strengthened Israel. He is the type of person who prefers it when others around him look weaker because it makes him feel stronger. His security came from feeling stronger and more prosperous than his neighbours. In other words, he found strength in the weakness of others. He speaks in front of his officials and the army of Samaria with derogatory and sarcastic language. What are these feeble Jews doing? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned out as they are? His comments draw further criticism from Tobiah, who is standing at his side, who rather humorously but very cruelly suggests that their wall will be so pathetically weak that even a fox with its bare paw could knock it over. However, as hurtful and discouraging as these words were, the Jews rose above and kept building, which further infuriated this collective of enemies to Jerusalem, to the point where verbal ridicule in verses 1 to 3 give way to physical action or preparation, therefore, in verse 8, as we read, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. I think it's worth pausing for a moment to ask the question, who are the Sanballats and Tobias in your life? Who are those who ridicule and demean any spiritual progress that you try to make? I think we can take heart from this. Because what we see is that, A, God's work never goes unopposed. 
And when God's work does go opposed, as difficult as that is, it means that the enemy is feeling threatened and it means that progress is being made. So if you're experiencing a Sanballat or a Tobiah in your life, stand firm. (laughs) Stand firm. Now, the rest of the chapter is concerned with Nehemiah's response to the ridicule and the threat of attack. He does essentially three things. Firstly, Nehemiah fights insults with prayer. Secondly, Nehemiah fights threats with prayer and action. Thirdly, Nehemiah fights fear with courage. Let's just walk through these three points. Nehemiah fights insults with prayer. We hear the prayer in verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Let me see a little further on in verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. If someone insults you, fight back with prayer. Turn the responsibility over to God, recognising that ultimately it is his battle that you or that we fight. The battle is the Lord's. Prayer is Nehemiah's instinctive reaction to a crisis which is most certainly to be emulated. However, in this case, the words of our prayers will be somewhat different to the prayer of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's prayer is essentially a prayer of revenge, not personal revenge, but one of handing his enemies over uh, to their own downfall, handing them over to God. The prayer is an expression of trust in God to bring judgment and destruction to those who would stand opposed to the work of God. And as far as Nehemiah was concerned, it wasn't necessarily the wall or the people that were being opposed. It was God himself, which was why he was so passionate in his prayer to God that God would vindicate himself. And Nehemiah, no doubt, had been informed by the book of Psalms in the way that he prayed. And there's something instructive here for us. As we spoke about earlier this year from Psalm 25, uh, the Psalms are actually a model for us to know how we can communicate to God. Nehemiah prays a psalm, which is what's known as a psalm of imprecation. And that means curse. And I'm sure if you've read through the Psalms, you will know that there are some Psalms that very much have that tone of curse, cursing God's enemies and those who would dishonour and discredit the name of God. Nehemiah prays in that kind of vein. We, however, don't pray in that way. Back then, God was using the law to deal with sin. However, through Jesus, something way more effective has now come. That is grace. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
So instead of praying against those who are opposed to us, we pray for them, just as Jesus himself prayed for his enemies as he was being nailed to the cross. As Jesus hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We do this because we recognise that the real enemy we fight is not the one we see physically before us in the flesh. As Paul highlights in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When faced with opposition to spiritual work or progress, our first response must always be prayer because ultimately it is God's battle and we need to look to him for deliverance, for justice and for wisdom. We pray not against but for our enemies, not for their destruction but that they might fall into the hands of a loving God who can restore them and forgive them and offer them the same love and grace that has been offered to us. I find it helpful when I feel threatened or opposed to remember that God loves the enemy just as much as he loves me. (laughs) That's a hard truth to swallow, but God loves all people and his desire is that all would come to know him. And so, like Nehemiah, we pray. But the tone and the intent of our prayer, because of Jesus and because of grace, takes on a very different mode. The second thing that we observe from Nehemiah is that he fights threats, not only with prayer, but also with action. Because in spite of the opposition, the people continued to build. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet this threat. Nehemiah, aside from being prayerful, was also very strategic. He effectively devises a scheme for defence and action so the work can continue. Verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Verse 18. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Verse 23. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Just consider all of the practical steps that Nehemiah took in addition to his prayer. He instills a guard to keep watch night and day. He organises people into family groups. He equips the workers with swords, spears and bows. He appoints a trumpeter to rally the men to the place of attack should one occur. The, The workers were spread out very thinly over the wall. And the purpose of the trumpeter was to sound and so that all the men would come in to the attack if it were to take place. He leads by example by never really clocking off. The comment about leaving his clothes on means that he was always ready, night and day, should the call for battle come. 
When we are faced with opposition, it is easy to want to retreat into the safety and security of our church buildings and withdraw from the world. But just as Nehemiah and the Jews continued to build, even in spite of the opposition and threat they faced, so we also, the church, are not to cut ourselves off from the community when we face opposition or persecution. Rather, we are to extend ourselves to our community. The Jews continued to pursue their work of rebuilding. However, they also readied themselves to fight the enemy should an attack come. They will never initiate a fight. And in the end, they don't need to fight. But nevertheless, they are prepared to defend themselves should an attack come. And we know that we don't fight our enemy with physical swords, spears and shields. Rather, as the Apostle Paul continues to teach in Ephesians 6, 13 to 18, Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of the devil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. As the people of God, working for the kingdom of God, we both build and fight. Whilst the Jews were building a wall, today we build bridges. Bridges of connection with people in our community, both local and global. And we do this through genuine acts of loving service, which in turn provide us with opportunities to share about the life-changing message and person of Jesus and the difference that he makes. Finally, Nehemiah fights fear with courage. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah lifts the morale of the Jewish people with these powerful words. He implores the people to lift their eyes off the problem and look to the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, he said. Now what we have here is really only a summary, I'm sure, of a larger, more extensive speech that Nehemiah would have given. But it is very akin to other Old Testament battle cries, which invites the people of God when they are feeling under threat, when they are feeling like the minority, to trust in God and to remember his mighty deeds and actions. And Nehemiah possibly draws on heroes of faith like Gideon, David and Esther, for example, to inspire his people and remind them that when they fight, they fight in the strength of the Lord, regardless of the odds. 
God is always faithful to deliver his people. In addition, he not only inspires these men to fight for the Lord, but also to fight for their families and their homes. And this adds an emotional twist to the plea. He pulls on those which is nearest and dearest to the men. It was a masterstroke in motivational speeches. As we read on, we learn that their circumstances didn't change. In fact, they only got worse. But courage doesn't rely on circumstances. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to face it. It's moving one stone at a time. It's saying one prayer at a time. It's having one conversation at a time. We are not building a wall. We are not armed to engage in physical warfare. But as we seek to build bridges with people and daily face spiritual warfare, Jesus urges us not to seek comfort by withdrawing from the world and retreating into the walls of the church, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Understandably, we may very often feel inadequate to the task and the enemy will certainly try and ridicule and demean us for trying. You know, Sanballat was right about one thing. The Jews were, in fact, a very feeble and small minority. And no, they wouldn't finish building the wall in one day. But this has always been the case with God's people. Israel was always small by comparison to surrounding nations. They were a powerless people. However, their strength was not found in their size, skill or weaponry. Their strength was always found in their God. And when they were weak and trusted in him, just as Gideon did when he defeated 135,000 Midianites with 300 men, or when David defeated Goliath with a slingshot and stone, or when Esther defeated Haman by trusting God's lead through her uncle Mordecai, God's strength was made perfect in their weakness. And so too it is with us. Let's pray. Almighty God, in the face of our enemy, help us to see beyond our weaknesses, failings and limitations. Rather, help us to see your power your might and your triumphant victory over sin and death in the cross of Christ our Saviour. Help us to remember you and trust in you because ultimately we know the battle for hearts, minds and souls is yours. Strengthen us afresh for the work of your kingdom This day we pray. Amen.